Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into the Buster Show podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, a guest that I've been looking forward to having for a very long time after following his Instagram and LinkedIn content. And that is because our guest today is Rich Antonello, founder of Complex. Rich, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to uh, feeling younger because of this podcast. <laughs> First thing I want to talk about, I want to I jump right into it. Uh, founding Complex. Where, where did you first realize that you had a passion for media? And when did sort of that vision originate? And did it come from anything else? Well, well that's, uh, wow, there's a lot to unpack there. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'll try and give you the elevator version. Number one, I've always been fascinated by media. Um, because I started out, all my passions lied in marketing. Um, found that out in college and I just loved um, narrative building and uh, by the way that's just a little bit more sophisticated version of the word storytelling right um, but it's more intentional there's a if you really think about that because there's a lot of people who are just naturally good orators and then if you're able to build a narrative not just on your own self but on behalf of other people and brands that to me is you know, narrative building. And to me, that's the definition of marketing, real marketing. Not like, arbi like arbitrage shit, but like real, you know, um, you've heard of a guy named David Ogilvy, very I famous. Haven't. I need to though. Okay. Wow, oh my God. So go read his book, number one. He's the king of advertising. The Ogilvy Advertising Company, uh, Ogilvy and Mather was a, He's infamous, um, and literally, he defined advertising as the ability to change people's hearts and minds. And I heard that when I was in college and fell in love with that, like off the charts. So for me, um, that A, I realized that was a talent of mine, but B, it was also a passion. And when you can combine a good talent with a passion, that's the direction to move in. So I was very lucky to start my career at Saatchi and Saatchi, and I worked on some of the biggest brands in the world. I worked on Procter. I worked on, on Procter's flagship, Tide. And right. then, uh, I mean, literally, I was just some snot-nosed kid at 21 years old getting a shot like that. I didn't even, I took it for complete granted. I did no, I had no business having that job. <laughs> and, I, and I did everything in my power to learn as much as I could because that was my grad school. That was my MBA. Um, hey, it's and then I got a lot better than actually going and getting an MBA too. Can I, well, I mean, that, that was back in the, you know, I'm old, right? I'm 49. So for me, yeah, let's not talk about that again. Okay? I was going to uh, say that's young. Dude, it's dude. not the age. It's not the age. It's the mileage. And you will understand <laughs> this. No, no, but you laugh, but you know, but you, you want like, not to go off on a tangent here, but it's, it's an important thing to talk about is everybody talks about entrepreneurship and you know being your own boss and taking advantage of all these things and there is a lower barrier to entry to all of that than there ever has been before but be careful what you ask for because when you take on that level of responsibility to build a company and build yourself up and all those things rather than being a part of a larger entity you are in this thing 24 7 every decision is yours and every result that comes from those decisions, you have to own. And that takes friggin' years off your life. Um, it just does, especially if you care. 
you care about your team, you care about um, the way you go about things, and you want to do it, not just be successful, but do it right. Um, it, it's, it's just, it's a lot. So, I mean, and I, I mean, I kid around, but like, it's just entrepreneurialism is nowhere near as sexy as everybody likes to think it is. You know what's sexy about entrepreneurialism? Successful ones results. That's sexy as hell. It is sexy as hell to live in a big, beautiful home and drive really cool cars and be able to travel and have experiences. All, but that's the results. There is nothing sexy about the entrepreneurial journey. Unless you there love what nothing. you're doing though, that's fun. Maybe not I sexy, love, it no, is no, no, fun. I love, I love my job, but the weight of those decisions True. and the amount of constant vision building and then iterative uh, execution Literally. is just, I mean, dude, it's, I mean, it's not, it's a weight that very few people should actually want to take on. And Fewer than I think do. like if something goes well in your company, it's our win. But if something goes wrong, it's your loss. <laughs> Always. And by the way, that's the way you should be as a leader, whether it's the leader of the entire company or the leader of a team or a department, you know, at the end of the day, uh, and I say that not just from a motivational perspective, but literally I, I, I grew up this way. Like my father never let me in any time when I was like, uh, something went wrong, my team lost or whatever. Like if you ever start a conversation pointing a finger out, he goes, your goal should be to start this way. And if you start this way, believe me, every single other person on that team, even if they're finger pointers themselves, will look at you as their leader because they know and understand subconsciously or consciously that this is the real leader of the team. Wow. Period that's an amazing piece of advice. It's just true. Like, and, you, and, and honestly, look, I have two daughters. I operate when I make really tough decisions and I'm thinking about the impact it's going to have on my, not just the P&L, but even more the staff and, you know, the readers, the consumers we're, we're dealing with is did I do it? It's not just why and what we decided, but how, how is this gonna happen? And it's really nice to be able to be proud when you look at your kids to be able to tell them how this went down or look yourself in the mirror at night and go, I did right by everybody within this situation. That is, a, that is not a nice to have as an, a leader. That is an absolute fundamental have to have. Yeah. So sorry, I, I went way off on a tangent. No, that was I, amazing. That was that was a great tangent. I can tell how how passionate you are about it, and it, it's all super important things, you know, to keep in mind in a day and age where entrepreneurship is so glorified online. You know, even when I was first getting into the world of, of doing my own things, that's how I saw it because that's how it was depicted to me. I saw right. it as you know an infographic. That's, that's right. clearly what I thought entrepreneurship was. It was like, oh, you multiply these numbers and then you live in a mansion. Right, exactly. <laughs> but what was I thinking? Granted, I was like 13, but that's how it's depicted to the youth. So I think it's important that people like, like your, yourself and myself are, you know, actually, you know, dish, dishing out on the front end of things so that their right. realistic expectations of people can be more successful. Right. And I mean, it's also different in, you know, think about it this way you're doing two things at the same time you're building your own individual brand and a company right 
And, and those require different skill sets as well. Like you can afford to be much more selfish by, by doing your own thing. Like if you were just being a creator yourself, like just a creator versus trying to build, you can't afford to be selfish on the second side of that by building a real company where you're gonna have other employees and things like that. Those are, those are also people being cognizant of what their strengths and weaknesses are and being intelligent, like intellectually intelligent enough and honest enough to go what they should and could do versus where, who they are in, uh, organically. Like you got to think about that stuff. Also at, at points before, like once you're able to delegate things, everything obviously gets a lot easier once you're actually able to hire people. But for, entre- I mean, if you hire the right people, you hire the right people. Um, but before that, when it's just you knowing your strengths and weaknesses is even you know, exponentially more important, you know, so I, I think you know, all of that is, is definitely uh, thing, things to be aware of. You know, yep. it's so funny. I see on your LinkedIn all the time, you know, talking about the importance of self-awareness and, you know, the only people to compare yourself to are, are your, you know, pretty much yourself. That's um, right. Why, why do you think for that, that in, in particular, why is that so important? I mean, look, I, I, I threw something out recently and there are like, there's a lot of general themes, but like one, let, let, let's just talk about one for a second. I, I actually think that the, what doesn't get talked about enough from an entrepreneurial perspective, or just honestly working in this day and age of the pressure that, uh, the, of, of business in general is the level of depression, right? And and how do you not compound that? And, I, and I'm going to go, there's two things here. We'll put a pin in one of like admiration versus inspiration. That's going to be the second side. But the first side is just mental health. And I think, you know, you have a lot of people, there's a lot of people you go and you read these crazy stories like, oh my God, like Elon Musk just passed Jeff Bezos as the most valuable, like the, the wealthiest person in the world at like, $200 billion, right? And everybody talks about Musk or Cuban or Bezos or, you know, and you can go on and on and on, right? But do, do you know the amount of people that actually could be get into that stratosphere is this big, right? And I mean, so many things have to go right and you have to have a certain type of capability and then timing has to align and you got to get really lucky and all like, and then you start extrapolating that out. And it's like, that is just, it's great to look at that and go, I aspire to something like that from a success level, but also there's different realities for everybody, right? Like I, I think people don't celebrate their wins enough personally. I don't think people go, Hey, this was a hand I was dealt. Now, ideally, I'll get some experience and be able to reshuffle the deck and maybe get a different hand to create a different life. I'm sorry, I'm big on metaphors and you know things like that. But, but I, I think most people don't celebrate winning within their own, like here was the hand I was dealt. Like, oh, not, and not me specifically, just some general person. Like I came, I, I, I'm growing up in, Coney Island in Brooklyn and my lower middle class, high, like higher class, like poor. 
And, you know, I go to a shitty school. Um, I there's no way I'm going to be able to pay for college. You know, I'm smart, but I don't kill school, you know, and I, I, I have a sick mom and no dad. And, you know, it's like, wait a second, is it realistic to go, I'm going to go and become Jeff Bezos or like within the current context, like how about going, like, I'm going to work my ass off. I'm going to support my family. I'm going to help everybody out. I'll take a little bit more time for college. I'm going to be patient about the way I do things, but I'm going to take care of everything that I have to in the hand that I was dealt in all aspects of my life. And then I'm going to optimize for that. I'm not saying shoot lower. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying be happier with winning within the context of that you have been dealt. And I don't think enough people think about it that way. That's super smart. And it's also to the point of the Bezos Musk or whatever, one bad day in the stock market and the whole list shifts. You know, right. it, it's that not like they have cash. Cash. We, can, we can spend hours chatting about perceived wealth, paper wealth versus actual no. wealth and other things no. that, that can get, we can go off on a tangent. I want to come back to the other side of that. Yeah. There was also another uh, tweet and another LinkedIn post that I sent out. I, you know, I don't hero worship anybody. And I actually don't think that that's a healthy thing. Um, I'm inspired by Jeff Bezos. I think he's a brilliant, brilliant man who has done unbelievable things and continues to rethink business models unlike almost anybody else. Um, but I don't, I don't outright, I, I, I don't believe in admiring and, and imitating and like hero worship. I believe in using, finding other people's stories and using that as an inspiration for yourself. This way you figure out how to make your own path rather than copy somebody else's. A, there's two reasons for that. Number one, you always wanna find your own white space. And then you also wanna optimize yourself within that. And to me, you use people as an inspiration, not as a, a marker for your, for your life. I, don't, I just don't believe in that. Well, I, I think a point to that as well is if you're, com if you're comparing in any way to a finished product of somebody else, by the time, even if you did That's everything right. the exact same way that they did, by the time you got there, it wouldn't exist. Different but different circumstances, completely different circumstances. I love that. That's actually a really, that's a really good caveat and addendum to, to that. I love that. That's smart. It's... It's so funny just, um, you know, because when I was younger, I definitely like idol. And I'm curious if you realize how funny that statement is from you no, when I was younger. I, I, I like know. That, just, what, <laughs> what I'm about to say will make up for why I said that. When I was like nine, 10 years old, I would idolize, you know, those athlete stars, the Derek Peters, the Kobe Bryants, the LeBrons, you know. Now it, it's a little bit different, but still similar for the the same athletes that I grew up watching um but there's none of that for the current I love them all they're all amazing but it's more of like a friendship thing than you know right. looking up so uh, w was it different for you looking up at those business people when you were younger um oh no absolutely not like I I made I did I made all the mistakes of that right like what I'm trying to do is allow the next generation my kids and and you and your cohorts to, to learn faster. Like I learned the hard way that um, they're, not as, they're not much smarter than everybody else. And 
Um, there's, look, just because someone's successful doesn't mean they know and understand everything. In fact, usually it's quite the opposite. Um, you know, I, I've met a lot of very successful business people, a lot of venture capitalists, a lot of private equity guys. They're very good at their verticalized job, but they're not, I'm not, you know, their perspective on media or what I should be doing from a company perspective. Whereas the first couple of conversations and the first time I raised money, I was like, oh my God, what they were saying I took as gospel. And if I actually wasn't strong enough to change my mind and follow through on what they wanted to do versus having fights at the board level uh, and defending what I knew to be right to do, we would have not, we wouldn't be standing where we are today. And I say that because it's not, that's my point about, it's not just that I don't think it's healthy to um, look at anybody like godlike uh, because they will fall down the pedestal because we're all human. But even worse is what it does is it actually discounts your own confidence level and your own thought process. Sure. And I think, you know, having confidence around being very unique, differentiated, and your own perspective really allows you to optimize yourself versus being in awe of somebody else in any context, meeting, dinner, um, doesn't allow you to optimize because you're just sitting there going, oh my God, this person's a God, rather than, you know, they might be just as interested or more interested in what you're doing in your perspective than their own. Well, I think what the funny thing about that is, is anybody who you love, it could be, uh, you know, it could be anybody from Barack Obama to LeBron. If you sit down with them, you can learn from their mistakes. And I think that, and that fact in and itself brings people down to your level. There is nobody out there, anybody in the history of the world that you couldn't sit down with and hear about all of their failures. And that's a, that's a great thing. But a, a great. problem going into it, though, because of social media. Social media is a highlight reel, right? Um, where people post the top 0.0001%, you know, if that, it's, the number's probably a lot smaller in terms of actual percentage of their days and lives that they're posting. Um, so let's just say it's point four zeros in a one. Um, so you're you're judging that person and their life and their success off of a number so small that you blinked and it's over. That's right. So it's impossible to actually judge anybody without knowing them and really spending time with them. Well, let's let's take that and extrapolate even further. It's one of my biggest problems with grad school right? For all these people who want to go and get MBAs. And I'm not saying there isn't value in it. I'm not. What I'm debating is I think most of these schools have it wrong, is they've chosen case studies. And here, let me go with this for a second, because the case studies, this is the biggest mistake they make. They take case studies almost exclusively of successful companies. Well, why should I, I'd rather learn from the most gigantic failures. Like if I was a professor right now at like NYU Stern, right? Or the media school, I'd be like, I'm gonna do an entire course load on why Quibi failed and how. Two reasons, two reasons. Number one is why would you not wanna do a study of a failed company? Because that means the sector is still more of a white space. So you're getting people to come up with ideas and learnings to help solve for a problem that somebody else failed at, number one. So the value is off the charts. 
Yeah. And secondarily is like, I would rather understand what potholes to avoid or where they went wrong in their thought process so that I get my head right rather than look to copy somebody else's thought process. So for me, like, I just, I don't think we look at things properly from a learning perspective. Uh, and I do think so to your point, social media amplifies that problem by only showing the really sexy good shit that goes along with it. Um, the lack of honesty around mistakes and then why it happened and the exploration of that um, is, would be invaluable for people. Oh my God. Could you imagine if, a, if, if somebody made a school called like the mistake school and all they did was, was talk about failures? You know, I'm going to give a shout out to one of my friends. Um, did you ever read, you know, Bobby Hundreds from the Hundreds? Yeah, of course. Friend hundreds. Mm -hmm. So Bobby wrote a book. Um, this is not a t-shirt. And what I love about that, did you read that book? I haven't, no. You should read that book. It's so good. It is, well, first of all, he's a very acerbic, caustic, super smart guy um, that comes at things very differently. And his, the story of his business is just unbelievable, him and, him and Ben. Um, but Bobby is incredibly raw and honest about big mistakes they made, um, choices. Um, and, and, and it's just, it's a fantastic book from that perspective. I, I highly recommend everybody who li who's listening go out. It's probably the most honest business book I've ever read. I love that. So now to, uh, to, to put the mic back in your hand, if you would, if you could go back and tell that, you know, 21 year old rich who's working on the tide campaign, what, <laughs> one, one, one piece of advice uh, in terms of going forwards, whether it be correcting yourself or letting, letting you know about a mistake you're going to make in the future, what would you go back and tell yourself? Um, is take a breath. Um, I was in a big rush back then. You know, I thought like, okay, I'm smart. I know all this shit. I don't need to learn. I don't need to become an expert in something. I don't need to uh, understand the history and the references of what worked and why and what didn't and why. Um, I was just in a massive rush to make money and be successful, right? And I didn't calm down. I, I, I should have taken a breath. And I say that both within certain meetings where I could have learned more and actually performed better myself, but also on a macro basis, I, I, I just thought the curve had to be more aggressive and I didn't optimize a lot of relationships and a lot of opportunities at jobs because I was bouncing around for an extra 10 or 15 grand initially. I took I didn't stick at jobs as long. I didn't find good teams and learn as much from people as I should have. Um, I, I think way too many people are in way too big of a rush to achieve success. Um, I know that's a really easy thing for me to say right now, but um, listen, I didn't get a shot to run my own thing, which by the way, it's ironic. When I, I was 30, when I started at Complex, right? And I, everybody at that time, 20 years ago, 19 years ago, 
was like, oh my God, you're running a whole thing at 30? Oh my God, that's so young. And what's wild is, is the exact, that would almost be like people being like, you didn't start your own thing until you're 30 years old, right? Like it's just, that's how fast things have changed. And what I say, I don't think that, that, I, that it was right, but it was good for me that I was 30 by the time I got that level of responsibility. And I'm not saying that's right, but I think it might've overcorrected now into the other way. And I think it's, it's not an age thing, but it's an experience thing. And I don't think, I think many people are in way too much of a rush to think that they're like, they've mastered something and like, I'm ready to move on. I'm the king of this already. Like, you know what? Get really good at something. Think about how you, you can grow it yourself and how you iterate from there as well. That's, that's the level of expertise because I don't think people spend enough time mastering their craft uh, anymore. I can totally, totally agree with that because, and I, I've seen, you know, one mistake that I can speak to that I, you know, from, you know, school to afterwards to even now, something that I'm always working on is, you know, something that I've found whenever speaking or even, you know, when I first started this podcast, I would be so focused on what I was saying that I wouldn't right. listen to what they were saying. And it's very easy to do that. You know, similar things, I, I see it all the time on a, and I, I do want to talk about Clubhouse with you, but um, <laughs> I see it all the time there because people are so focused, including myself, on, you know, what they're going to say to the thousand people in the room that they don't take a second to listen to what other people think. Well, you know what's interesting about that? Look, there, there's lots of layer, layers to this and levels to this, but um, you know, the best, the thing for me that I define as like the best interviewers is you could do all the prep in the world and that definitely helps. But within a conversation, there's two or three times uh, where somebody says something and if you're really listening as the interviewer, you can grab it and pull a string, right? That, those are the moments and the differences between somebody who just does their homework, asks good questions and can be entertaining. That's a good interviewer. The great ones know how to pull on the string, right? Totally. And, and not to make a bigger correlate, and this might be an interesting segue to Clubhouse as well, but you know, it's the big differentiation between um, good content developers and great content developers. Think about what the analogy would be to platforms. The people who make good content just, but very, a lot of them just push it out. They just push it out on platforms, right? Great content developers have who people who develop communities, not just have followers, but people who develop communities pull a string with their audience and have two-way conversations. So good content people, great content people, but it's very similar skill sets and thought processes to an interviewer and the way you, the way you liaison with your community or not. And you could theoretically apply that to friendships and literally relationships. 100%. You could apply that to everything because 100%. it's all about effort, caring, and going the extra step. Like something I can and, go, and peeling back a few layers, right? Like because that's the real thing is pulling back a few layers. We we live in a soundbite and snippet society, right? <laughs> yes. Um, and it sucks. Like I like I think that's bullshit. Like it holds very little value to me. It's why I participate very little in the social media world. 
And um, I look for tremendous conversations where people are looking to challenge one another to think differently, not challenge each other's opinions, but the challenge to think differently and think bigger and, and change the perspective and learn, right? And that just doesn't happen as much on social media as it should. Oh, it's totally true. Now, it, it was a good segue. You were, you were 100% right about that. I, I didn't see, and now I see it. Um, right. Clubhouse. So the, the app launched back in March. Um, they had a $100 million valuation with 2,000 users. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Um, they raised it. Uh, they now have over a million users. What are your, what are your thoughts on the app? Uh, okay. Let's start breaking it down, right? Like, <laughs> let's not talk about the valuation, right? Let's just talk about <laughs> the product, right? For a minute yeah. as a platform. Um, I think one of my biggest issues with it is they have to figure out an effective moderation tool. Like right now, I think it's, it's one of the things that makes me very uncomfortable on that app in that you have a lot of people you know, everyone keeps talking about like, oh my God, like this person's a legend. You should just shut up and listen to them. Well, first of all, that is not the concept supposedly of what I thought Clubhouse was supposed to be because it was supposed to be two-way conversation. So right. no one should be put up on a pedestal from that standpoint. Now, as far as I'm concerned, everyone should be respectful of another person's words, which by the way, never happens on that platform, which is my big problem with it. It's not about people being put up on pedestals. It's being treating everyone's words. And if they are truly stating something different and important, then you give that person breath, right? They have to figure out some level of moderation um, and tools to not let rooms and conversations be hijacked by conversational uh, terrorists, right? Which, which happens all the time. And on a related note, even worse is I have never seen so many sham artists be like, how did that, like it went from like, it's not even a year old and they already have like bad Tony Robbins imitators all over the place creating these fucking rooms. Like what the fuck is going on over there? Am I, am I wrong? No, you're hundred percent right. It's the like, fake entrepreneurs in the game. Oh my God. Like, and no one's calling shit. I mean, how many people, I want to know how many people have been jacked of like $500, $1,000, to be like, I'm going to tell you how to build your business. I'm going to tell you how to do this. You know what the craziest thing I ever heard somebody on there say? I said, uh, we were in a big room. This was when I first got on the app two weeks ago. We were talking about relationship building and (laughs) and things of that nature. And, and somebody said, uh, I don't remember what they said, but I followed it up with, you know, the uh, one of the biggest flexes. Oh, we were talking about flexing cars and money. And I said, you know what? One of the real biggest flexes on social media is when people speak well about you uh, when you ask them. And they were they turned that into some mentor debate. And they said, uh, you should never be afraid to pay for a mentor. And I logged off. And you know why? Because they're all course sellers. All they do is sell course. I I, I really, it is, look, 
I, I have this one saying, and I think it's very true for Clubhouse, not just, there's other people, there's other platforms. But what's interesting, and this is my challenge to founders very often when people are like, I'm gonna launch a social network or a verticalized community or this or that. And I'm like, okay, I will tell you this, the way people are from an exploitative basis, if you do not provide a foundational way to monetize for the participants on a platform, they will figure out the lowest common denominator for you. Like, and that's exactly what's going on. Like the reason people are doing that on that platform is because you haven't given them a way to make money yet. You're so they're explaining it. That's a really interesting point. Like, I'm sorry, but nobody wants to say that, but it's a, probably a very unpopular opinion, but I just, uh, tell me where I'm wrong from that as a thought process. No, you're 100% right. And I, I will give credit uh, to the one Instagram. I don't know if you've ever seen them. You would love this account. It's called at Baller Busters. And all they do is call out fake entrepreneurs on Instagram. Oh. And they've and they've done it. Oh my God, I haven't said, you have to send that to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send it to you. They've been featured in the New York Times. They only have like 40,000 followers, but they've called out the clubhouse gurus because they, so they actually had, um, there were like 10 or 20 of them that had fake blue check marks in their profile pictures. And oh my clubhouse God. had to make an addition. They banned the fake blue check mark because all of these scammers were claiming that they are verified on clubhouse. But this count baller busters posted about it. So credit to them. Unbelievable. I'm glad I got, I got to look that I'm, that's going to be my favorite follow, by the way. It's I, I, I love that because I don't think, you know, look, there's lots, there's lots of potential for clubhouse. I want, I don't want it to be all negative. What I just said, um, you know, I, I, I love democratizing conversation. Technically, I think that's what they're trying to do. Um, and I think it would be amazing to actually be able to go do that. Um, but there's a re reason that also hasn't been done yet, right? Is the amount of challenges. And I think, I think, I think moderation tools, um, far superior ones, would actually be very interesting. And that could be like, you know, peer voted upon so that you can get like a moder a true moderator play and then you get a tool set that comes with it and so on and so forth like you can make that very like uh democratic right um if you if you're worried about controls and it like not be driven by the platform each person when they join they only get to speak three or five times and a number counts down and then they get booted out themselves by the right. app. i mean there's lots of, look there's lot there's a billion of those and that's a good one by the way right um you know, I, I just, I, I like what they're trying to do. Um, I think it's, it would be really important to open that up to a lot of people who don't have access, which I love, um, you know, for information. But I, I, I think there's, there's a lot of dangerous places there. And then, I, like, my bigger concern, especially in the current context of the world, is... Um, I don't love how people get shouted down um, and the, 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 the very negative crowd mentality that is there. Um, it, it, that to me is, 
is what is, is something they're going to have to think about as they scale. Yeah, no, it's true. To, to speak to two things real quick before we move on, uh, I think one of the positives are for people who are, who are networking in an industry that they're just getting into. I think something like that, there's extraordinary opportunity for. Unbelievable. Not, not just right now, not just because of Clubhouse, but actually because of the uh, mystique around Clubhouse. And what I mean by that is if, if there's somebody on the app who's listening, who's just getting into an industry, they could go on Clubhouse, find people's accounts, DM them on Instagram that they saw them on Clubhouse, then there's this mutual you know, yep. club association that opens up a very organic conversation. So from that standpoint, I think apps like Clubhouse can be extremely valuable. Um, you know, I, I can even speak to a few relationships that I've made there. On the flip side of that, I think it's very dangerous because the people who are the biggest on the app now are people who, you know, <laughs> it, it's funny because, you know, I find it hard to believe that really successful people are able to spend 24 hours a day on this app talking to one another. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying. But, um, but the, the fact that most of the biggest people on the app are people who sell courses, who sell things that their audiences buy to support them. So them being on the app is actually them working. It seems that a greater proportion of the people with large followings have gotten there through gamification and inorganically. Um, it seems, I, I don't know that for a fact, but it seems that way. There's a lot of people on there that I think, you know, have said some of the more interesting things, have great careers, have different perspectives. And I'm blown away at how little, um, not just that they participate, but how little followings they have as well. And I think there's, you know, and look, that's up to anybody that they want. Like, it depends on if you want to sell yourself or not. Um, unfortunately, if, if that app, if it's only driven by if you want to sell yourself or not versus the quality of what you're saying, I think that's a real, I, I, I always appreciate the latter, not the former. To your initial point too, though, once they do figure out monetization, like the reason YouTube is so successful is because they have the best monetization of any platform ever. And that, no, that's, you're proving out my point. And that's what I don't think people, like I, I'm not saying I'm the only person who has that perspective. I just haven't heard anybody else say it, mm -hmm. right? And I think that that, first of all, it would go a long way to remedying a lot of the problems that are on that app personally as well. No, I, I think that's that's super important. When you look at like the social landscape over, you know, when I mean, I when Complex first started, social it was just web, right? Right. Um, but when you look at, at at sort of the social landscape since the beginning, which I guess you could say was MySpace, which then, but Twitter really. Um, when you look at you know since then in, in the late or right, right before two thousand and ten to now. Which platforms have impressed you the most in terms of their form of evolution over the years? <sighs> I mean, there's so many different ways to look at that. Um, I could look at that from um, an individual's perspective, or I could look at it from a business person's perspective, like leading a company, and I give you different answers, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, I, let, me, let me say it this way. I think 
from a business person's perspective, I always, I always, I've been saying this for years, and I think you're just starting to see brands and publishers embrace this as a, as a strategy or a thought process is I never understood how brands, whether you're a publisher or Coca-Cola, right? Mm. Doesn't make a delineation of is this, is this platform, whether it's YouTube or Twitter or TikTok or, or Clubhouse, um, is this going to be a content consumption platform for me? Or is this going to be a discovery platform for me? Like, I don't understand how people haven't thought of it that way. Like right. we've always thought of it that way. Um, and then it allows you, not only does it inform the content you put on, but it informs your entire monetization strategy as well. Like, is it an audience driver or, and then you're gonna move them somewhere to extract value in a different way. Um, whether you're selling product or selling them your content, or is it where your content is going to be had, therefore you're going to put different type of content and you're going to have to partner with them from a monetization perspective. Like, I, I don't think most people have applied that strategy as brands and publishers and now individuals as well. Um, so I think from a business perspective, like the brands that have evolved the monetization partnership to allow for both discovery and uh, partnership and content consumption. Like I look at YouTube and I am blown away at how, like, are they perfect? No one is. But I think they've done an unbelievable job allowing for the best partnerships possible for individual verticalized creators and large scale brands, right? Totally. And because of those two factors, and I think they understand that very well, um, I think I look at Twitter and I get so frustrated because the of that platform and the impact it has and the influence it can have from an immediacy perspective is unlike any other platform out there. I don't care, Snap, TikTok, nothing else can have the immediacy factor of Twitter. Right, like because what it does is live in a snippet world, and another word for a snippet is a tweet. A hundred percent, and it also because here's the other thing: is it's not just that information distribution very quickly, but it sets the tone for all other content that's going to then follow. Right, because that opinion—I mean, people jump to opinions very quickly and assumptions um, in this world, but it's set by Twitter. And what's amazing to me is they've been unable to get that, to harness that power from a monetization perspective and a control factor basis to the degree I think they could and should. Um, so I look at that as nothing but opportunity. Um, I think they have an infinitely more influential platform than they get credit for. Um, you know, I could go down the line and talk about all these guys, uh, but you know, I, I, I'm watching, I think what musically now TikTok has actually done from an evolution perspective is going to be a 101 business class in domination. I, I, you know, to say that that product is iterated, to say that their approach is iterated, um, they're not romantic about anything. They are willing to change and try things unlike a lot of other players out there. 
Um, like to me, they are really impressive from a business perspective and the way they think about that platform. Um, because what they, they're so far out in front, instead of optimizing against what the current trend is, they're out there trying to define where the world is moving. They're very impressive to me. Yeah, it's really, it really is incredible seeing, seeing them go from cringy to cool in three years with, I mean, they spent a lot of and, money. And, to and usually to scale that fast and do that at the same time is unbelievable. And build platform specific stars, build the Charlies, the Addisons of the world, like real stars, like the next Kardashian type stars 100%. on the platform. Unique 100%. to the platform. But it's also like what, to me, what a good, like the only way I can identify a good social media app is how often and how much do people share stuff from that app on all of the other apps. And TikTok passes that test. Twitter yep. passes that test. YouTube certainly passes that test. 100%. And that's how I identify, you know, for YouTube. That's a really, that's a really interesting perspective. Um, you know, I, I think that's a bigger macro statement on the fragmentation and segmentation of the world today, right? Like people always go, you know, uh, whenever time there's a new medium that comes out, people are like, oh my God, what is it going to replace? Yeah. And what's funny is it never replaces anything. Like it just, it yeah. just adds, right? And um, it's really, it's interesting you say that as a qualifier. That's a really smart perspective. I hadn't thought about it that way. That, that, that's more of an indicator. Let me, let me challenge you on that. That's an indicator of relevance. I don't know if it's an indicator of business success of the app. Business success is all driven by monetization, but you do need users for it. And the users are driven from- 100%, 100%. But the more, the more they proliferate across into other platforms, the harder monetization becomes. That's true. Like with Instagram, that, that's a great point as well, because Instagram, I see so many TikToks posted as reels. Right. Exactly. That's, right. A, that's a great example of that. But, right. but relevance for sure. No, I, I, I think you're right about that. You know, and look, smart business people will take that relevance and turn it into monetization. Right. Yeah. One Not begets the other. Just don't confuse the two is the point. Right. I think for YouTube as well, you know, it definitely doesn't hurt that, uh, that Google, uh, Google's got, got their hands in the water there. <laughs> look, I, I, but I give them, look, I'm going to give you a counterpoint to that. Yeah. A lot of companies that get bought, um, MySpace got bought by, um, uh, Fox, right? Fox. Got it. Right. By Viacom first, Viacom first. Sorry. Viacom first and they fucked that thing up like nobody's business right and you can get swallowed up I give YouTube a lot of credit is and I give Google a lot of credit by not by keeping it as a separate company and not just trying to alter its play um is that my daughter walking her dog uh yeah sorry about that uh, I was like what's that red thing going on in the background um but you know I I yes YouTube's done a tremendous job leveraging Google and its assets and its place in the marketplace, but it could have easily gone wrong as well. They deserve as much credit for optimizing that and keeping their arm's length 
from a strategic perspective and growing that as an independent asset. Mm, that's super, super fascinating. Now, one of my last questions, how do you go from being a founder to a CEO? And what do you think of Most the- don't, most don't. Most don't, most don't. That's mature. why their companies fail? Um, no, I, I don't think it's, that's, that's the end result. The problem is, is people who can come up with a vision usually don't have the same skill sets to optimize on an ex and the discipline to optimize on an ex on an executional basis. I'm way oversimplifying, right? But you know, it's like people who build a company from zero to fifty million dollars of revenue. That's fine. You could have the same skill set, fifty to one hundred and fifty. You know, you have to be a little bit more disciplined financially. Once you pass that threshold and then you get to certain amounts of employees and other things like that, your, your administrative skills, your board skills, your potential public market skills, and the understanding of capital and balance sheet and optimizing and leveraging balance sheet versus just running a P&L are tremendously different skill sets than coming up with a, a business and how to build an audience and and sell that product to an audience from ground zero very few people have the ability to scale through that whole thing effectively totally and the amount of skills like i i am experienced in no regard in that way but the amount of skills i know somebody like yourself needs to have just like the list from being able to hire well being able to fire well, like all of the different, you know, lists of oh, dozens of- those, those don't even make my top five. Well, actually the hiring does, but you know, it's wild. Like, you know, it, one thing that I would, um, I'm blown away that more venture companies don't push, and I know it doesn't behoove them, but like, you know, if I was sitting on a board and I do this now on some of the boards that I sit on from like, uh, or advising and things like that, is people learning and understanding, you know, what your balance sheet really means and how to leverage capital. Like the amount of, that is just not discussed enough. Um, the financial instruments that are available, um, you know, a lot of times, and I'm not trying to like out people, but a lot of times boards and other things like that don't want the entrepreneur or the leaders to know and understand that, hey, instead of raising another round and diluting yourself down and giving up more control of your company, you can go factor your receivables and, or, you know, you can create a line of credit and there's other financial instruments where you maintain more control of your company um, and can optimize that asset. Now, look, good, good board members will do that, but you know, there is no real, you know, there's a lot of um, piecemeal information about being an entrepreneur out there, um, but there's no like, nobody's written the book on it. Like it's not 101. A lot of the pitfalls and the manipulation that occurs and um, the really risky things um, are kind of like the dark side that doesn't get spoken about anywhere near enough. Um, and, and look, it's up to the entrepreneur to, to educate themselves. It's not okay for them to say, oh, well, you know, my board is gonna take care of that or my CFO is gonna take care of that. Like if you're leading the company, you're, you're responsible for every aspect of that. And you better learn 
and understand, and I don't mean ask somebody, I mean learn yourself the hard way of how to optimize against each of those things and not count on somebody to do right by you and your company. That is tremendous advice. Um, yeah, it, it, it's funny, you know, what I keep coming back to, which was one of the first things that we talked about was, you know, when you said there is no book on the hard stuff, nor I'm curious if there even could be because every situation is different, but definitely oh, okay. lots of, a lot of the stuff. But there's a book on thought process, right? And there's a book on things to watch out for and how to think about them versus um, it's more of, it would be more about, and that's a really good point because it's not like, if this happens, watch out for this. It's, oh my God, during fundraising or when you think about your cap table or when you think about the, the, the capitalization of your company, here's the, uh, the application of the thought process to think. Um, you know, it, it, it is, it's very, it's very antiquated. It's kind of funny that that information, which is so important, is some of the hardest stuff to find out there. Yeah, it's so funny because the only way that, you know, people are introduced to entrepreneurship today is through motivation. And motivation right. is very shallow and empty because the second the video's over, it's not there anymore. And that is the most crazy, interesting thing that I'm obsessed with because it's like, how do you keep that fire going for people, for yourself? Usually it's rooted in passion because I feel like passion is the ultimate energy source that just keeps on, it's the gift that keeps on giving. But right. that isn't how these videos and, and things with tens of millions of views right. online. But let me, let me even make it worse is the, the most common thing for an entrepreneur, like the baseline on a minimum basis is an insane passion and motivation. That's not a differentiator. Right, right. Everybody who's out there has got that. Yeah. Like, that's not the stuff to spend time on. Like the stuff to spend time on are these crazy, weird, never seen before, never experienced before, non-educational, non-educate, non-base case educational, like that that accelerates the and also will be defining factors on whether you're successful or not. And I don't mean like finding the right board to tell you what to do. No, it's finding the right board that will be supportive when you need it challenge your thought process, but then allow you to be as aggressive against those passions is absolutely possible. Like, yeah, it's like <laughs> business couldn't be more different from sports in the sense of if you're, if you're a bench player, you can check into the, you can get put into the lineup in game seven of the world series, hit three home runs and you're signing autographs for money for the rest of your life. Right. Business is, uh, you know, anything else really is an accumulation of how you carry yourself and how you right. treat other people over the course of such a long period of time. Wait, how old are you? 20. Jesus Christ. The fact that you understand that, not only understand that, but were able to say that so accurately and elegantly wow. is fucking amazing, by the way. I, I appreciate that. That is very kind of you. You know, there are a lot of people that I, I, I definitely learned that from, um, you know, o over the years, you know, <laughs> it, it's funny. I, we can dive into more of, you know, some of, some of those things later, but the, the main point um, just being, you know, that uh, 
the difference between business and sports in, in that sense being, you know, how there's no, not going to be a single event or meeting or decision that will do anything that'll even matter right. whatsoever. And that's why it can be so hard. Like it can be, um, you know, so discerning because, you know, you, you can be in it for five, six years doing everything right, but you don't even know it until, you know, the, the super long run. That, 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 first of all, that's all, you've also identified the differentiator between people who did, who did get a little lucky sometimes like, oh, I started at the right company at the right time and I got the right shares and whatever, or someone who's really put the grind in to build something. Right. And there's a big difference. Right. Um, I say it, how do I, I say it all the time. Like, you know, it, it's like, there's a big difference, whether you, how you've gotten to success, right? Like I know a lot of people with a big account, bank accounts bigger than mine, uh, like a lot. Um, right. And by the way, I'm not complaining in the slightest bit. That's not what I I'm can tell saying. You, very, you're very nice background. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but, but is, you know, I define success, you know, money is part of it. What, 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 what the life my family is going to get to lead and myself is very, is one aspect of it. The ability to build a long-standing brand and a business that will continue on well beyond me. Um, the amount of people that we have put on, the amount of people when we exited the first time, the amount of people that made, that were able to buy and have no mortgage, buy homes and have no mortgage and pay for their kids' college well in advance. And, you know, life-changing money um, and life-changing opportunities for people who might not have had them in other places and other ways because they didn't have the perfect resumes. Like all of those are, and by the way, I can keep going on other components, but that to me is the measure of success, not just the, you know, the, what we exited for or what I exited for or um, what I'm able to buy and, um, and the choices I can make, but the effect we've had on the community and my partners and my investors. And it, it is a very long and differentiated list of things that we've accomplished across the board. And that, you know, maybe I don't, that does not, that's not shared by everybody, but that's the way I look at it. I love that because it, that was gonna be my last question, you know, you know, how do you measure success? Because everybody, it's, it's an interesting thing because everybody measures it differently. You know, for one person, it might literally be just having the opportunity, um, you know, to chase their passion forever. For somebody, and it's so, it's something, you know, that I always- but that, but Here's the other thing is, I, I, I think the same way, you know, your number always change, like everybody's got a number, right? Like of like when I'm done, right? That changes, but so does the definition of success, right? Like it changes. If you would have asked me a long time ago, especially coming from where I came from, what success would have been, it would have been able to be able to walk into a store and not worry about 
whether I could buy that for my child or not, or live in certain neighborhoods or give my children certain opportunities and me not to have to worry about paying bills and other things like that. That, that to me was my first, my first rung of what I would, in my life, what I was gonna strive for from uh, success. Because I didn't even know what other aspects of success looked like because my purview of it was so low to start with. And then you get to certain places and you start to see, uh, you know, what other people define it as. And then you go the same way you look at their skills and go, I don't want to do it the way they do it. I do like this aspect. You start looking at what people do, you know, like now my next level of success, which I hadn't thought of before, you know, over the last three, three to four years, I've started more and more. And especially now I've started more and more trying to help other people be successful. And that that. is, you know, we did that with our company, but I didn't have time to look outside. Mm -hmm. Now, trying to find other people, other entrepreneurs, super passionate people, super talented people, and they don't have to want to start their own thing. But I'd love to be able to be in a position to help people optimize their lives, Um, especially people who don't have, like, I didn't have a playbook because I didn't have really successful people in my, in my family. I didn't have, but they didn't have, they didn't know anybody from a connection perspective. I couldn't sit down and have a cup of coffee with somebody. My dad didn't play golf with the right people, like all that shit. Right. And like, I had to make my own blueprint. And if I can help people accelerate that blueprint or make a better one for themselves, that to me will be a massive level of success. And, and that's the next thing, but it's constantly evolving. So funny, man, how like, even, even with myself, like as, as pathetic as it sounds, when I was 13, my first goal was for the brand that I started to hit a million followers on Instagram. Like that was my goal. I was like, I don't want anything else. I don't care about money. I don't care about that. And like having the best sports cards that hasn't changed, but the, on the, on the, by the way, that'll end. Like. Buying these sports cards now, and I know a lot of people think they're expensive, but the best correlate I can make, it's like, like buying a a five thousand dollar Kevin Durant rookie card right now, which I think it's like five or six grand, like going for. um, It's like buying Bitcoin for six bucks, dude. That's some high praise, right there. It really is. We'll we'll talk about cards right after. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about cards. But so back to the point, you know, when I was 13, that was my, that was my goal, then, you know, was able to do that. And by the time I did it, I didn't care about it anymore. It had no impact. Then my goal became, you know, to be able to not only have conversations like, like this with people like yourself to educate me, but to help other people as a byproduct. So everybody's benefiting, everybody's learning. And also, you know, the bigger goal is to have access to anybody in the world to have these types of conversations. People right. who have, people who are 90 years old and have never done a podcast, but I, I want them to share their knowledge, their life experience, you know, through a platform like this. That's, that's become my goal. Uh, and then on a similar front, you know, being able to uh, involve the, the charitable front, I think the ability to scale uh, charitable endeavors has never been easier. Uh, through social media and utilizing large masses of people around communities. And I'll I'll tell you a little bit about the charity that I'm launching soon, actually around sports cards. 
Um, yeah, you're, wow. you're gonna you're gonna get the biggest kick out of it. I can't say it yet on the podcast because of when this will release, but there's stuff coming soon there. But it it, it is true to your point. Uh, helping people become so much more rewarding, and it's also a branding play, right? Because as noble as people are, helping other people makes you look better as a person too. It's always a byproduct. Yeah, I, I, I yes. Um, I think it's also uh, there's one other byproduct you haven't gotten to. There's the the branding yourself, but actually, it's setting a precedent to inspire other people to make their definition of success, right? That is super fucking important. Like, I would love to set a precedent like in this country, I mean, globally as well, but is that you can't define yourself as successful unless you've helped others. Like that, that to me- Everything you did for everybody who's ever worked at Complex, if you made five more of yous and then they made five, like that family tree of helping people, millions of people, let alone, it's like the classic thing where you don't, like you don't need to invent something that changes the world. If you invent something like a complex, for example, that helps millions of people on a very small level, but it helps, every, helps millions of people every day, a very small amount, that adds up in the world from a happiness 100%. perspective, infinite fold more than oftentimes people who are shooting for the moon trying to cure x thing or x problem in the world you know you gotta doing good things for good people is good a hundred percent and i you know first of all man i i really like your energy like likewise your and and i say this like your balance of curiosity and willingness to look at things, wantedness to look at things differently is really inspiring. Like it's really awesome. Like most people are just driving, driving, like they're like, you know, it's like, and like, there's no, everything is about the means but the journey and the ends of is where all the magic happens, right? I, I love that. And it's just, dude, you are not fucking 20 years old. Like, there's no fucking way. Like, I just... Yeah, the, facial hair, the facial hair helps if I'm ever trying to get in something. Uh, but apart from uh, that, uh, I've got... You know, it's, it's you're wise beyond your years. And you're wise because you know you don't know everything. I know nothing. That's, that's true wisdom. That I is true that. wisdom. You know, I, I think it's funny when you, when you, when like, even with athletes, right? Like I always used to hear Kobe say this all the time, you know, that he sucked, like, because that opened the door to being, to getting better. And that's all that mattered. Cause whatever you have is what you, whatever you have is meaningless. It's about going forwards. I will tell you, um, and I'm, I know a lot of my staff uh, laughs at me all the time, but I'm like, I really do believe it. It's like, you know, I always say it all the time. I'm like, I'm not that smart, but let me, let me give you my perspective on this because I say that not to be self-effacing, but I say that because I want people to know that I'm, I, what I'm about to say, I want you to challenge. Like I want you to improve upon it. 
And there's, and my viewpoint is I'm setting a play that what I'm about to say, there's a lot of ceiling, a lot of room before you hit the ceiling of getting this better. And, and I, and I really just think it's an interesting way not to tie back. You, you see, I'm painfully consistent about the way I think about things. No, to, I me, love that. to me, that is the, um, that's the thought process version of the finger pointing, mm. right? Like where you start this way, like I'm starting saying, let me give you my idea. I know it can get a lot better. And I know you're somebody who can help me get a lot better. Well, I, I think it's, you know, it's to something that I think about very often, particularly with introductions of people. I heard uh, a comedian once, uh, it might've been Jerry Seinfeld. He was talking about how he never wants to be introduced as the greatest comedian of all time because the barrier is set so high, he's gonna let everybody down. The same thing I think about in terms of podcast guests. Why would I hype up the person so much to where every word that comes out of their mouth is expected to be, you know, godsend? Gem, the gem of gems, right? Like, <laughs> right. that's just a clubhouse reference, by the way. Gems. Yeah, I'm, oh, I, I it drives me fucking crazy. Uh, you know, I, again, you know, I, I love, I'm very off the cuff. And, you know, I think most of the, brilliant things are not the things that you uh in this day and age are not those like perfect anecdotes or perfect quotes like i think it's it's the intent and it's the thought process um and i wish more people would look at that rather than look to criticize or look to tear it down but look to like oh my god that was a great sentiment here's a great way to build upon that and I just, I, I just wish show, social in general was more, had that, had that sentiment more and that approach more. I love that. I think that's a, a great place to end this off too. Rich, I know you're on LinkedIn and people can just find you there by, uh, by searching your name on LinkedIn, but where else can people follow you to hear, to hear more of uh, the- Yeah, the, the I, I tend to be rather active on Twitter as much as I was just shitting on it before. Um, <laughs> Like it's just at Rich Antonello. Um, that is kind of my, it's where, where I tend to um, thought dump. Um, you know, when I'm in a meeting or I come out of a meeting or I come out of a conversation and I'm like, hmm, this is an interesting takeaway. Um, you don't always have the backdrop and the context, but you always have some interesting anecdotes that are out there. Some hundred And then I usually, what I usually do is they take a tweet and then expand upon it on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So that's usually the, my thought process. Also that just algorithmically usually works well, having a photo supplemented by a lot more copy. It actually does. That's, that's I, I mean, I, by the way, I stumbled into that. I didn't learn that the right, like that was just, it, it made sense to me the way to think about it. Well, that, that's the best way to figure it out. You figured out the LinkedIn, the LinkedIn cheat right there. That's right. Well, I'm not looking to build though. Like I hate to say it, like that's, I don't look at, I know everybody, you know, it's like, oh, build your personal brand, build your personal brand. Like to me, I, instead of spending time getting those channels bigger, I'm literally trying to make more individual connections with people and spend the time doing that. Like yeah. I want it to be about everybody else, not about me right now. And the way you're doing it though, and I can tell just from looking like, I mean, you do have a lot of people on LinkedIn, like over 10,000 people who are following you. That's not nothing. But 
if you're doing it the organic way, if you're not running ads and things like that, you're just going to get people. I've never spent one cent doing Exactly. And that's how it comes organically. And that's how you'll actually get the people who should be following you. Correct. Correct. Look, I'm not, I'm not for everybody and my take isn't for everybody. Right. Uh, but I'm also not trying to remedy that. <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to help the people who want it, need it, need it even more so. Um, but to me, that's the way I'm looking at it. That's, that's the next arc of my life, right? Is how can I be other people? Well, I will say your take is definitely for this podcast. So I, I appreciate you coming on. <laughs> Thank you very much. It was a lot of fun, man. I, uh, hopefully that was helpful for everybody who's out there. Super. All right. We'll catch everybody next time. Peace.